in to episode 12 of the Lion Truth Podcast. I am one part of the Tennessee Connection, David, and I am sweaty after my workout. And I'm Colin. I've showered since my workout. But it was my first workout in many, many months after my uh, shoulder surgery. So You got back in the nice. game. I'm Robert. I'm part of the LA Connection, and I am excited for tonight. Hey there, I'm Brian. I am fresh off the road. I am also excited tonight. So, yes. Connor got uh, Colin got back into the game with uh, getting back on the workout horse. How'd it yes. go? It was good. It um, I I took it easy. You know, I definitely paced myself. We did both David and I go to a kickboxing gym, and um, if you don't go in a while, it will seriously kick your ass. It will it, do it. it uh, it'll, it'll wear you out, no doubt. It will. It will, it will knock you down. It will definitely do that. So, I'm glad you so got when do you two get to spar? That's what I want to do. I spar with the uh, I spar with the, uh, the 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 dummies, you know, that don't breathe. But I tell everyone I work out to stay healthy. No, it's not about physique. It's not about uh, anything other than I just want to be healthy, and so that's why I continue to do it. And it's great stress relief. You and I talked about that earlier. Absolutely, it, great. It, it really is. Really is. Gets a lot of endorphins going. Breaks the uh, breaks the body down. Kind of you know breaks the will a little bit. Uh, gets the the tension out of your shoulders, out of your body. That's what we were talking about when uh, when I was training back in Tennessee in those days that you just you don't want to go to the gym because you've had a bad day, but you get there and you you roll with your teammates and you get out there and just wear each other out. And usually my best nights, when I felt my best, was the nights that I absolutely got my butt kicked oh, yeah. and uh, and completely humbled and, and wore out. And and by the time I got home, I was in a much better mood. So. Much better. Brian, uh, you said you got off the road. Where'd you go, man? I was all over the place today. It was all local, but uh, okay. let's see, I was in Anaheim, Linwood, Laguna Hills, uh, Downey. I was just kind of all over the all over the Southern Cal area. Nice. Nice. Well guys, I'm I'm excited about tonight. This is the first uh first time we've we're doing this since uh well gosh, in a long time that we have actually got a guest on with us tonight and we are yes. very excited about the guest that we have. And we're going to kick it off now. We're going to bring him in. Robert, if you'd introduce him, we'd love to get started with him. Yeah, we're excited. We have uh, we have with us tonight Britt Gusmus. Britt is coming to us from Denver, Colorado. He is a keynote speaker. He is a high school football coach. He is a teacher at, I'm going to make sure I get this right, Mullen High School in Denver, uh, social studies teacher. He is the co-author of the Amazon bestseller, the Impact of Influence that you can pick up now. Uh, and he has another book coming out soon called The Oak Tree Source, which I'm uh, I'm excited to hear about later. Married to his wife, Carrie, has one daughter, Isabel, one son, Colton. Excited to have him here. Welcome to the show, Britt. Welcome. Thank you so much, fellas. Boy, it, it is an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. And uh, yeah, I have been a kickboxer. I've been to kickboxing classes as well. And Boy, I, it left me in a puddle. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely, and, yeah. And and then if if those if those stationary dummies don't have enough sand in them, um, I try to knock them across the room. Yeah. So yeah. Pu- pu- punch them as far as I can. Um, I, I'm I'm one of those guys who, you know, was a baseball player, and when he played tennis, I just tried to hit the ball out of the. <laughs> out of the complex <laughs> as, far as, as, as much as possible. But uh, no, I, uh, it's so good to be with you guys and uh, love what you're doing here. And so I'm, I'm very, uh, very honored to be on the show. Well, one, one of the things that we like to do or that we try to do on here, whether we do it well or not, 
is we try to get people to understand that being a man and being masculine is not toxic, right? Uh, that you can, we can be goofy and trust me, we, we are, we will be, but at the same time, you know, we believe men are called to lead, lead in the home, lead at work, whatever it may be. Uh, and that's not a bad thing and lead with humility, uh, along with strength, uh, lead from a, all of us are professing Christians. Uh, so we lead from a biblical worldview and a biblical point of view. Uh, and we like to follow the model that Jesus had. So that's one of the things that we, that we try to, to establish on here that men aren't just goofy. Uh, you know, if you watch any 99% of your TV shows, the male lead is going to be somebody who they make out to be incompetent and goofy or arrogant, uh, just not somebody that you want to follow. Uh, so we want to kind of change, uh, to, to borrow our friend Rachel Barbo saying we want to change that narrative uh, and, you know, and, and change the way people see masculinity. So and that's one reason that we we wanted you on here. I saw something that was kind of interesting in your bio that I was reading today where you started your teaching career. Can you give us some information on that? It, it seemed like it was kind of a not necessarily like a halfway house, but more of a transitioning from a detention center. How, how, how did you end up there and what did that what did that look like? Yeah, Robert, thank you so much. And uh, it just real quickly to, to piggyback on your platform and what you guys are doing. And, and you sent me your quick summary and, and mission statement about the podcast. And I mean, so I've got goosebumps. Uh, just so you know, I, I've got a, a long sleeve shirt on, but I've got goosebumps <laughs> under there. And, uh, and because, you know, that is, yes, uh, exactly what you guys are doing is what I believe God is, has put on my heart uh, to, to do and be and, and change that narrative. And, and I can't wait to get into that a little bit further. But yes, um, so when I, a little bit of backstory, I've been a high school football coach um, since, you know, early 2000s, you know, just been going into my 16th year. I was a nice. salesman. Thank you. I was a salesman um, and thought that, okay, I, I'm going to coach because I'm a sports junkie. I'm going to keep coaching. And then I'm going to just make a bunch of money and, and do, you know, do what uh, male masculinity society tells me to do. And it became really apparent to me as the Holy Spirit and, and Jesus kept knocking on the door of my heart saying, I've got more. There's there's more to this for you. And, and so in 2009, I went back, uh, finished my degree, got my master's degree and went uh, into teaching full time. And uh, now I'm, I'm that. So when we talk about purpose, um, being as obedient as I can uh, to that purpose and, and, and really doing exactly what I was made to do and what he called me to do. And so with that being uh, Compassion Road Academy was a brand new school. Um, I was one of the uh, charter faculty members. And yes, we were. So the Gilliam Detention Center um, is the a detention center uh, here in Denver uh, for kids that have been incarcerated, have, have done things that are, you know, that they, they're not supposed to do they're not, when they don't follow the law. Uh, they go there. And then Compassion Road was the sister school to the Gilliam Detention Center. So yes, like you said, Robert, they would transition out of Gilliam to Compassion Road. And man, that being your first teaching experience, whoa. Now, <laughs> and I am, and so I am, uh, you know, quickly there was, I mean, so kids that, you know, obviously didn't have a lot of discipline and and me being the coach and me being the type A and me saying, okay, this is the way it's going to be. 
was the worst thing I could have done. And, and so that was uh, that first semester was one of the biggest learning experiences of my life in, in any, besides my marriage, be in any relational setting that, that I've ever stepped into. So, um, and so I learned so much about coming up alongside uh, of these boys and girls who, who are their gang members. Um, they would right. wear their blue, they would wear their blue and red uh, to school. And obviously they would have to take that off, but they was, that was a lot of the talk. That was a lot of what their life revolved around. And so they didn't need another confrontational uh what's the word i'm looking for authoritative right man in in the traditional sense right in the way that we think of it um they needed authority to come up alongside of them and support them and, and so through um man through a lot of learning and uh banging my head against the wall i made some wonderful relationships that i still have to this day uh, with some of those young men and women. And, and I, I was their support. I was their, the source of strength and substance for them, whether, uh, it was, um, I would always go to Costco and I would have boxes of granola bars, um, and, you know, sometimes Snickers and M&Ms and all that stuff. And they loved it. And sometimes the school was like, we don't want to feed them that. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, come on. Um, but anyway, um, so just, you know, being what they needed and, and then trying to, help them understand how important their education is. And um, we had a compassion road is still in existence today and, and has a, has a growing graduation rate uh, of kids coming out of transition and kids coming from tough backgrounds. And, and so I'd like to think I had something, I was there for two years and, and moved on to another hard to serve setting, uh, but had such great experiences there uh, supported kids. Uh, I mean, we were, we were in downtown Denver. And so there'd be times during class, uh, I'd say, okay, guys, let's go down to the food truck and we'd all get whatever snack and I'd get a coffee and they, you know, they'd get their snack and their drink for the morning. And so it's just things like that, um, that I think God calls us to be and do, um, and to serve. And, and so I got, so I got into teaching to serve and, and he, he put me, he put me right in the fire. And, and that's, I mean, that's where, I mean, that's where my, that's where I think as men, we've got to be in that refiner's fire at some point. Um, oh, so, that he can, so that absolutely. he can, you know, so he can start to burn some of those impurities out of us and, and we can be full of his substance. And so that was exactly what he did for me and uh, in, at Compassion Road. And it was a fantastic experience. It sounds like that was, um, you were probably the the most consistent male figure some of those people had in their life at that up up until that point in time, and then you know they get a basis and they you you get to change the way they see men at that point, right? Instead of being somebody who's always beating them down or whatever, you get to you get to build community. Like you said, you're going to get snacks and coffee, and you're building community. You're building a rapport. They get to understand that it's not just about you know yelling and 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 there's there's boundaries. But those boundaries are guardrails, right? They're not they're not just so strict that you're constricting the people. You, you actually let them grow within that. One of the quotes that you have in the book, The Impact of Influence, the weight that I carried now was hope. Instead of mm-hmm. carrying that burden that you had before of, of trying to fulfill what the world said, and, and now the weight was hope. Can you speak to that? Yeah. Th- yeah. Thank you so much, Robert. I, and that, yes. And so that, 
through through all of my and that I mean when the, we hear the word weight, um, and and I and I equate the word weight now in my life at 48 years old uh, to like you you know obviously the weight being the hope that I carry, but then um, being able to carry more of of God's glory, um, and, and so I think that weightiness is is His glory. Um, you know, whether it's in worship, um, whether it's in communion, whether it's in service. And, and so being able, yes, being able to carry more of that um, has been a process. And, and that is that process has has come through a lot of hurt. That process uh, of, of the weight that I carry now is hope um, has come from a lot of doing the wrong things. And, and, and I, will, will t- I mean, guys, I, I mean, you know, the the best way I thought about things got me a seat in the last house on the block. Um, Mm -hmm. And and we can talk about that later, but, um, but yeah, so, you know, that hope that I carry is, has been transferred, has been, um, has been given to me through our loving Lord and savior. Um, And, and I feel like the weight that I carry now is, is a really a relentless hope, a relentless positivity, a, a radical, candor. Uh, I mean, really, and that all comes from being from his Jesus uh, building his kingdom inside of me. And and I feel like also weight means I can carry, I can help carry that for others. So I can carry their hope to a degree now that I couldn't uh, when I was unhealthy, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And and so when I, when I think of that word weight, I mean, it, it, it has a lot of meaning to me. And so hope is, is who I am. Hope is what I give on a consistent basis. And that it's almost like it's endless to tell you the truth. Obviously my body gets tired. Our bodies right. get tired uh, because of this vessel that we're in, but man, it, it, that hope doesn't get lost. And, and when I am out there being able to carry maybe some of that anxiety and some of that stress for others, maybe my wife, my kids, my students, my players, that, that all comes from uh, Jesus' glory, the glory of God that that helps me carry it. So yeah, that's uh, that weight of hope is is a is a very important thing that uh, that I'm so happy for because <laughs> I I, didn't, nice. I wasn't that way before. You know, the Bible teaches that His yoke is easy and the burden is light. So when, yeah. when we take up His load instead of our own, it's it's a it's a huge responsibility. But we, when we realize that He's the one doing most of the carrying, we're just kind of you know we're there. He picked up a big cross. We get to pick up a little one every day and. You mentioned in um, in your book, you said, as a person whose calling has to do with the development of young people, and I love this, I must be available mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. If I'm not, my influence will have minimal impact. And and as somebody who's taught students for last decade or so, that's I, I have to echo that sentiment because the biggest thing you can be for them, available for them spiritually, emotionally, and mentally ready for that they're going to hit you with some things that you may not be ready for when they start the question. And it's a matter of seeking that wisdom from God and letting them speak. And then I want to, I want to real quick ask you, it says, these are your words. The most satisfying mode of fulfillment happens when preparation and purpose connect to create something that endures going from where you were going into sales, coming into teaching, uh, being a high school coach that does have a greater purpose. If you would, because I know you're um, you do have a bigger platform now, what you feel your purpose is now. Right. And yeah, thank you so much, Robert. And, and there's, and so my purpose is now um, to obviously 
continue to, to do those things that I've done every day um, to make the everyday play every day. And with that being said, that then has given me opportunities like this to be with you guys um, and, and continue to grow my influence. And, and really that's, that's what it is, is continue to, um, to speak the word of our Lord and Savior Jesus, continue to let him build his kingdom in me, continue to model that in all of my interactions, all of, I mean, every, every bit of my speech, my actions, my thoughts. And and obviously we know that, uh, you know, we know our sinful nature and and that we need him to help us capture thoughts when need be take take our pride and, and level that. And, And so at this point, my purpose is to continue to really share the message of who who I am, where I came from, what it's like now, um, and what it's like now is um, I have the the kingdom of, of Jesus Christ living in me. He has given me a message and a platform which is to share uh, with men, to with everybody, but to really like you guys are doing to help men understand that when we talk about the leadership and what Jesus proposed in in the Sermon on the Mount in Luke. And so it's, I'll diverge here for a second. So we, and it it comes right back to it. We, I I introduced a unit today on the federal bureaucracy. And we know that the federal bureaucracy is a hierarchy. It starts with the executive branch. It starts with the presidency. It starts with the White House office and and the cabinet and on down. And, And so I made the reference to well, as we speak of Jesus and his kingdom, he turned it on its head. So right. part of, so it, the, the overarching message in the oak tree source is that men can be the foundation, the starting point of strength, substance, the most essential stuff in our lives, life-giving encouragement and love, and they will garner the respect that they want. And so instead of looking at the top and, and looking for respect in, in worldly places, starting as that source, that foundation of leadership for your family, for your relationships, for your, um, for your disciples, for your people in your small group, for the kids you coach on, on Saturday uh, flag football or, or wherever you're at, it's really this message of men being the source, the starting point. And, and we can't get to that starting point without being uh, a foundation uh, for everybody, and that's where that's where life giving leadership happens. And so, and so, Robert, when we talk when I we talk about and you ask that question about purpose, what it is now it is to really continue to live that live being the source, the starting point, and, and help men grow into strong oak trees. There yeah, speaking is, of which, because I wanted to bring that up because you had the the oak tree source is your next mm-hmm. book. Right. So how, how does that tie in the oak tree tie in with with what you're doing? Yep. And, and so, yeah, the oak tree source. And, and so the, the working title of uh, the oak tree source, how to become a man of strength, substance and spirituality today um, is is inspired partly by my story uh, of the of the hurts and hangups, the, the, the mountains and the valleys and, and really how God has taken me. And it has put those seeds of, of 
being a source, being that starting point and being the spreader of seeds of love, of joy, of passion, of discernment, of discipline, all those fruits of the spirit. And it has evolved how my life evolved into becoming that and how the message. uh, So Jesus message lived out through me. And, um, And so in Isaiah 61, three, and then obviously those principles that I live by that I think are very adaptable and repeatable uh, for men. So I mentioned the the word respect earlier. Men are always, we are always looking for respect, right? Whether it's from our spouse, our workplace, our um, the guy, our friends, all of those things, we're looking for respect. And, and it seems to me uh, that we look for it, we look for it in the wrong places. We look for it, and you mentioned it earlier, Robert, that we look for it in places that that hurt us, that harm us, that that are that are immediate gratification, that yes. that don't have life giving qualities to them, where we could actually build respect, and our spouse would look at us in a way that maybe we've never seen her look at us, because right. <laughs> you know it's like. Oh my gosh! Well, when, well, what have I? You know, that's so surprising to me that you're looking at me that way. Well, because I, I've decided to 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 know that it's not about me. I've decided to be the starting point, no matter what happens, no matter if the other shoe drops, um, no matter if my if my buddies, uh, I can't go to Top Golf with my buddies, or I can't go watch a ball game, um, or I can't go BS around. Um, I've got. I've got a purpose in my life that's going to help the most imp- this, the, the essential stuff, the substance of my life grow. And, and when we talk about uh, when Jesus talks about salt and light, um, he, he talks about that flavor and that substance of who we are. And so the message of the oak tree is precisely that uh, men focusing on the essential stuff, the substance becoming that source of that starting point. And, and really in this what I feel is a revelation really that God gave to me was in Ephesians 5, 22 and 5, 23, the, the, the man is the head of the head of the woman, head of the household. And in that headship place, I was talking to my pastor at restoration community church, restoration church now. And I was given, this is early in the process. And he, we were talking about that scripture and he said, yeah, Paul uses a Greek word, kephale, in in some of those Greek translations of the Bible early on. And kephale is the Greek word for head, but it's the foundation or the source. And so Jesus, not, yeah. So Jesus is the beginning point, the source. He is, he is the head, but it's, not it's the it, it's congruent with his teachings. So being kefale as head means source, which flips leadership on its head, so to speak. And and he is the spreader of seeds, right? Spreader of all of those things. And so that was a a really what I believe to be a revelation in this whole process of the book. And, and really, I think it's a, a message that's going to res- obviously resonate for us men who who have a relationship with Jesus and God. But I think it's a message that men in secular society can really get with as well, because when they see, when they, when they can grasp the imagery of a strong and sturdy Oak tree, I think they can understand, wow, maybe I will get the respect I've been looking for go into how, how, how do we become that? 
what are the things we need to do to do that? So, um, I'm, like I said, I'm looking forward to it coming out uh, and and reading through it. And you you hit a lot of good things in there. The uh, that passage in Ephesians, there's a, there's a verse in there that a lot of men like to use, where it says, "Wives, submit to your husbands." Yes. And uh, and people say that's no that's my that's that's my life verse. And I would tell my my guys would be. And when I say my guys, talking about the uh, the students that I used to teach at church, you know, they they would bring that up, and I would say that's you know that's great. There's like two or three verses there that apply to the wife, and then there's a lot of verses that apply to you. And yes, the wife should submit to the husband, but you also need to be a man worthy of submission, modeling what Jesus did and doing it that way. I'm looking forward to it. And and you talking about how your wife looks at you. Uh, you know, we've all been married for uh, quite a few years. Uh, <laughs> uh, I. Uh, Colin, I'm not sure how long Colin's been married, but I know he's been married for a while. I know David is 20 plus. Awesome. Awesome. Congratulations. Uh, David's 20 plus. 25. Uh, We just, yeah, you're 25 this year. We just celebrated our 25th a couple weeks back. And Brian is coming up on 30 this year. Yeah, that's right. He started when he was was 12. Yeah, we were we were <laughs> youngsters. Those pictures, man. Yeah. Uh, so we you, had, yeah, we we got married really young. So that's all I'll say. <laughs> yes, yes, they did. Yes, so they did. did. So did um, we. So did we. I, so, I wanted to go back to something though. You were, you were talking about respect for men, and yes, I've been trying to instill this in my son lately. And I asked him. I said, "Son, do you know he's 14? He's a freshman. He's he's all over the place. You know, he's he plays football and." Uh, he loves the fish and loves to play football, and he's just um, he's just all over the place. But I told him, I said, "Son, what what is it do you think men want most? What do you think men want most?" And he couldn't answer that question. And I right. said, "I'm going to tell you, it's respect." And he looked at me like I had just told him something that was just off the wall and crazy. But I said, "You will learn <laughs> as you get older. That is the number one thing men want, and yes. we don't even know we want it. It's, I think it's designed in us. When you get that respect, it just fuels that fire inside of you and pushes you along. And I, I told him that I said, you don't, you don't even realize that that's what you want, but you do. And, and I was thinking about how, you know, a lot of kids that get in trouble or a lot of men that get in trouble and they do something violent to each other. And what's one mm-hmm. of the things that they always say to you? Well, he disrespected me. He disrespected me. No, nope. so, no doubt. Yeah. I thought yeah. that uh, I, I just wanted to go back to that because that is yeah. so true. We, we yeah. want respect. Right. And with, uh, you know, all of us being married for a long period of time, we have seen our wives look at us in ways that we would rather they not look at us like that again. I know that's right. No. <laughs> and, and, I mean, because we've all made some really bad mistakes some really bad decisions and, uh, you know, and, and, and regretted them. And fortunately, you know, through God's grace, we're we're still married. Um, Robert, know, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, watch it. Down. Watch it. I think I have your wife's number. I'll uh, I'll text and get some examples. Um, uh-huh. And I'm sure it wouldn't take long. But but at the same time, she's got a list. Uh, <laughs> yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. At the same time, scorekeeping. Uh, Man, that just came yeah. up on our devotional. That just came up uh-huh. on our devotional. Man, and, and, and I don't I don't mean to interject, but no, dude, no, you're good. You're good. We um, and so we so this is uh, year we're coming up on year thirteen this year. And, um, and so we, it is, we start our day every single morning, um, in our big one and a half chair with our devotional on the Bible app that we both nice. got. And, and we just finished one, uh, that the, the scripture talked about, uh, the devotional talked about scorekeeping and, and man, that'll, that'll be, you know, one of the quickest ways you can undercut each other or, uh, stymie intimacy and, or, 
uh, you know, respecting your spa, uh, respecting your husband, or then it conversely loving your wife is to keep score, right? Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. and uh, and that is uh, that is something that I think inherently, not maybe not inherently, but as couples, we 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 become offended. Um, yeah, <laughs> and, and it's like, well, I'll just ting, I'll file that in the back of my mind mm-hmm. and uh you know just keep that right you know and obviously in corinthian paul talks about in corinthians the the popular wedding verse uh mm-hmm. about love make, keeps no record of wrongs and uh is not jealous and and so i i just think that it's a it, it's a very it is so important uh as husbands uh and wives to to make sure that um we obviously don't keep score and and that we are not afraid to earn respect because I, I think there are men, men out there who, who think, well, I am this, my title gives me this much respect. Um, who I am or what I've done gives me this much respect. And, and I don't, I, I think that, um, that just misses the point. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's, that's the biblical model of marriage, right? Um, mm-hmm. well, marriage is supposed to be the biblical representation of Christ and the bride and forgiveness, redemption, grace, restoration. If you're married long enough, you're going to need every single one of those uh, as you go through. And, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, on, on the funny side, it's easy for men to not keep score because we, we really tend to forget stuff. Uh, but but our, wives are really, our wives are really good at remembering stuff at points. You know, it's, it's just, a, you know, a lot of it's the way that we're built too. you know, they, they have a better memory on a lot of areas. We tend to compartmentalize and just like a shopping list. When mm. I did it, I checked it off. You know, let's go and let's get done. And and we can't treat everything that way. I, you know, we we went through um, we went through a period of time where we went through some some marital counseling, some therapy. And in my mind, it wasn't a matter of uh, to begin with. It wasn't a matter of healing and 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 doing what we need to do to get done. It was okay. How long is this going to take? You know, almost like how far do I have to run to get to the end of this? Not let's, you know, take this journey along the way and see where it is. You know, there's really no end to that. That healing and restoration has to has to start. And, you know, like you were saying with the not keeping score, we had to come to a point to where it's 100 percent transparency across the board. And that's uh, that's something that even some of the people that, you know, that we know don't quite understand. You know, you have to understand if you tell me something, unless it's, you know, something in confidence as far as, you know, something that I, that, that you don't that you're going to share with me. And, and, and I don't need to tell anybody else. That's just between the two of us. My life is an open book to my wife. Right. Every password I have. And thankfully, because she'll remember them and, and I won't. But <laughs> every password that I have to every device or whatever is, you know, is hers. Brett, let's talk so, a little bit about your coaching. Let's talk about. Yes. Your career. I, I, I'm a sports guy and I think, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm, I'm a football guy. Number one. I, and then there's other sports. Go dogs. Um, <laughs> Bulldog, <laughs> you forget. You forget. I'm the editor. I'll just pull that out. So, are we? Are we volunteers versus bulldogs here? Yes, I am. Yeah, I, I figured. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, David and I are passionate college football guys, and we can watch. There's only one day of the year that the two of us cannot be around each other, and that's the day that Georgia and Tennessee play. Other than that, man, we're good. But we just right. uh, so, but yeah, I, I would love to hear about some of your coaching. 
what yeah. what made you decide to to start coaching? You, you played, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was um, uh, I was a state champion quarterback in high school, and I was drafted uh, by the Houston Astros in baseball. Football was always my first love. I uh, when I first saw NFL films and I saw OJ Simpson run the ball for the Buffalo Bills, and I thought he never got tackled. And I'm like, <laughs> he did in those old NFL films, he didn't ever get tackled. And and so I'm like, I want to be that guy. And now, obviously, as an eight, you know, seven, six, seven, eight year old, uh, you know, obviously not in his later life, but um, but yes, I wanted to be OJ. <laughs> and so I um I had I had the blue and red jersey. I don't think it was 32, it was 23, maybe. And so that was where my love of football started. And then obviously that was part of that was that was inspired and fueled by my dad. So my dad's a southern boy. And he is a big Crimson Tide fan. And, oh, man, he loves SEC football. We, we talk SEC football all the time. Uh, but so he, my dad was a, was a great influence for me when it came to sports. And, and so we, one story, you guys, I think you'll really like this. I, so he showed, when John Elway's last year at Stanford, I, you know, I was, you know, I was, I was a good athlete. And, and so I just was always out there playing, throwing the ball around. And one day my dad's like, come on, Rick, come in here and look at this guy. And so he showed me, I, it wasn't the, the Cal band game, but it was another game where uh, Elway was playing, zipping that ball around and running around and, and lo and behold, he, they Denver traded the uh, Chris Hinton and Mark Herman and a first round pick to, Baltimore to get into Denver. And so my dad was so excited and we went to training camp. I was 11 years old at the time in mm. 1983 and we went to training camp and I was, no, I was into autographs as well. And John was the last guy coming off the field and you know how they have ropes there. And, and we were kind of close to the front of the ropes and I'm like, dad, I'm like, dad, I really want his autograph. You got to get it for me. You got to get it. And, and he's like, Britt, I can't, they're not going to let, I can't do it. I can't, I'm not going to run to the rope. He said, Britt, you're going to have to run under the rope and go <laughs> get it. And I was like, oh my, I'm like, are you kidding me? And man, I did it. I, I just, I drew up enough courage. I had my little uh, like five by seven yellow notepad with a black marker. And I ran under that rope, man. And I ran right to his chest. And I said, John, will you sign this? And, and I, and I don't, I don't think I even saw his face. <laughs> I was so close. I was so close to his chest and his shoulder pads and, and he signed it. And then I think he signed one more right by the door. And then as I was, as I was running back, one of the security guards said, you can't be doing that, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't care. And then I just ran <laughs> back to my dad and, but I had, but I had John Elway's autograph of, nice. from his rookie year in 1983. And so those were, so my dad, if there's anything that him and I connected on, connect on still to a, a, a deeply is our love of sports. And so uh, I have many stories like that where, I mean, he took us to see Nolan Ryan pitch in the Astrodome, uh, one of his last years nice. at the Astros when I was 14 and we went to AFC championship games. And so we did a lot of those things, which fueled that fire for sports in general. And, um, and, and then I, I mean, I could, um, I was, I was good at hitting a baseball and playing baseball. And so I um, 
didn't play football after high school, had some uh, offers to play um, at the division two, three level, but really baseball was going to be it for me. Um, and so with that being said, it ended prematurely for me. Um, I was not willing or able at that point to do the things necessary to maximize my talent. And, and so that entailed drinking, drugging, carousing, not going to class, um, which started a, started a, you know, really towards started the end of, uh, really the first quarter of my life until uh, I was 31. Um, and I was left on my knees in mental, emotional, spiritual, physical pain that I had never felt before that did I crawl into uh, the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, literally almost crawled uh, because I had a ruptured disc in my back mm. um, that that I literally almost crawled. And, and that's when that's when the grace of God and uh, Brennan Manning, uh, I, I, do you know the author Brennan Manning? I'm sure you guys do. Yeah, yeah I do. Child. Yeah. I read Abba's Child and, and, and saw uh, Brendan Manning in person and, and really that book and, and the, the character, the characterization of God as Abba, as our dad, as our daddy, uh, just, just, I mean, broke down all my walls, man, and um, life changed from there. And so as it pertains to coaching, coaching became my purpose. And so even in, even in those few years before I got clean and sober, I was still coaching, but wasn't that source of strength and substance for the kids. Um, I mean, I was, I was a good coach and I was enthusiastic and, and knew what I was doing and we had success, but it wasn't anything like it is today. And so coaching, uh, David is, is obviously a calling coaching and teaching is a calling for me. I am, I've got some really big goals around coaching. I, um, in, in addition to uh, c- carrying the message of Jesus through authorship and making disciples and speaking and, and doing all of those things, I uh, have some big goals to, to coach at the highest levels that I can. And, and so with that, coaching is my purpose, my calling, what I was made for. And I'm exactly what God made me to be when I do that. So it brings me so much joy and uh, adoration and, and it, the, the boys know it. Um, the boys know it. They uh, they're like, man, Mr. G, when you do those fired up Fridays, we love those. And they're like, when are you going to do another one? And, and so they always ask, when are you going to do another one? And, and so that's part of it too. Um, it is just rallying, you know, they're inspiring them, rallying them to some degree and, and creating uh, culture creating connection uh, through the game of football, and so the game of football. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like that foxhole mentality to a certain degree. Um, being hunkered down and, and being t- in a close knit community where you're putting yourselves on the line every day, basically, and then you get that one night a week under the lights or on Saturday on Friday night lights or on Saturday, and, and you get to put it all in practice. And so I, I, I mean, I love the strategy. I love even more the connections I've made through coaching because those were, those were the greatest, you know, those were the greatest connections I've made as a, as a kid. And I'm still friends with a lot of the guys that I played ball with and, and our lives are definitely different. And so that, that gives me a, a mission field with them, but coaching, um, I, I don't, it fulfills my purpose. It gives me purposeful satisfaction 
to to see kids, to see boys, to to see girls who play or manage come together, be involved in something much bigger than themselves, and, and watch them grow, watch mm-hmm. their hearts, hearts and minds connect. Because there is a obviously there's the strategy in football is like no other sport. You have eleven people on that field and the strategy goes on and on and on. And, um, but when you connect that heart, that, that strategy to their heart and their courage and their inspiration, watch out, watch out. They will, uh, they will go to places in themselves that they didn't think they had. <laughs> they didn't mm-hmm. think they could get, they could get to. And, and so I've been able to, to go, you know, I've gone to places in my mind and my spirit and my heart that I didn't think I could go to. Um, and it's that refiner's fire that Robert, we were talking about earlier and, and man, um, what, um, what a, what a loving God we serve uh, in those places. So I, I'm a sports junkie Co- coaching is my purpose. And, um, it just, it just fills me up. Well, you mentioned that, um, you know, we we're talking about that earlier in the coaching and the purpose and, and fulfilling that. And there's a, there's a guy named Rourke Denver. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Uh, he's a former Navy SEAL commander and he talks about finding your harmonic gate, which is that, that purpose for which an animal or a human, uh, the purpose for which God designed them. So you run in the way that God designed you and, you know, coaching is your gift. You know, it's, it's your gift, it's your calling, it's your passion. And, and I'm sure even in those those days when you're, it could be a tough game. It could be whatever, even though it's a completely high stress environment at the times, you're still running in it, right? It's not, it's, it's high stress, but it's not like you don't know what you're doing. Right. And I know one of your devotionals here lately, or I I call it devotionals, one of yours, uh, your Instagram videos, you were talking about going to that scary place, right? The place that scares you. And, you know, we've talked about it before is there's no growth in comfort, Mm-hmm. Right. You have to get out of your comfort zone. You have to go to. And if, and if you're following God, quite honestly, uh, he's whenever you really get comfortable, he's going to move you. Right. Mm-hmm. And he will give you a gift and a purpose that you can be outside of your comfort zone and still be operating within your passion. And I think that's where some people miss it is they think if if I'm operating in my passion, if I'm operating in the gift that I have, then then I'm going to be comfortable. And that's not. That's not necessarily the case, right? Warriors don't train so they can stay at home. Warriors train so they can go into battle, right? Yeah. Football players don't train and put in all that work so they can sit on the bench and watch the, you know, watch the rest of their teammates play. And I think I think the same thing goes with men as well. When I think a lot of times when we get when we get depressed, and we're facing anxiety. When we when we're missing that respect, a lot of it is because we are simply not engaged in the fight. So uh, again, I, I love the fact that you're on here, and, and I'm going to get back to the uh, to the football. And so, and, and we could talk football forever. It's just you know, it's just who we are. I'm curious: uh, Are you offensive or defensive guy? So I'm an offensive guy. I knew it. Uh, I am. Yeah. <laughs> it's a quarterback. What game? <laughs> yes, I was a quarterback. Um, <laughs> hey, and I, but I, you know, I played quarterback. I played quarterback like a linebacker sometimes, and. Um, and, 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 you know, with that fierceness and passion and, and toughness, uh, that is that, that I think inspires, uh, but no, I, uh, it, as a coach, I'm a, a quarterback coach right now, uh, currently a JV head coach at Arapahoe high school. So I don't coach at Mullen, but I coach at Arapahoe high school and yeah, I'm the quarterback coach for the program and a JV head coach. I've, uh, I've been offensive coordinator at a, at a couple of different places and the next, you know, I don't want to say the next step, but but the next step uh, would be probably to to get a head coaching job at the high school level, and 
and have been angling towards that. And, and so, but yeah, I, uh, I love to throw the ball around the yard. Uh, but man, when we can get downhill on you, uh, in a, in a, a two back t- 21 personnel, two back one, uh, one tight end. Come on. Let's go. Come on. Let's go. You preach it to me now. That's, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's my kind of football, man. Let's, let's line it up and run downhill and just smack you in the mouth and just, just, just when you think you've got the run covered, guess what? I'm going to fly it on the right-hand side and, and just be gone, and you're never going to see me, and I'm going to have – I'm going to put a six. I, I love defense, but it's just something about watching when an offense comes out and, 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 and it's clicking and everything's going the way it should, the quarterback's reading. You know, and, you know, again, I'm a, I'm a Georgia Bulldog fan, and, you know, for the last we – uh, we had Jake Fromm for, for quite a few years, and he had a bad year the last year, which kind of, you know, put him in a bad light. But from a football IQ, that dude was – was brilliant right and just to watch him kind of put people and if you don't know if, if, if you're just a casual fan and you're not you don't know football you don't realize what he's doing and how he's checking down and and putting people in different situations and sees you know where the mic linebacker is and I need to get this guy on that and if he moves here you know just moving the chess pieces around right and when you see that and it's flowing man it is absolutely fun to watch and uh you know for myself and david and of course i love to throw a lot of shade david's way because he is a ut fan but my whole family is <laughs> for the most part ut fans except for myself and uh but I, I spent most of my life in georgia so you know i spent 40 years or so in georgia so that's why i was a georgia fan and and i'm not just going to switch sides because i move of course now that i'm out here uh, in california I'm, I'm not a big pro football fan to be honest with you i like to watch guys in the pros that i watched in college Right. So when they go to a different team, uh, Matthew Stafford, who was the last Georgia quarterback to beat Alabama, just got traded out here to L.A. I'm looking forward to that. I, I'm, I'm wanting to see that guy come slinging all over the place out here in L.A. No. And, you know, they, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. As a Lions fan, I despise Stafford. <laughs> And he well, Colin up over here. He's like, oh my God. Yeah, I woke wow. him up. I woke up. I mean, <laughs> this whole count has just totally changed when you did that. I'm watching him. It's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, every time you mention the Bulldogs, it angers me a little bit because of Stafford. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was uh he was he was, I'll tell you what though, he's fun to he's fun to watch. Uh sorry, Colin. I forgot. I forgot you're a Detroit guy, man. But I'm I'm looking forward to him coming out here, so, and, and, and just watching it. So, Brent, I mean, you're you're right there in Denver, right? So I'm I'm gonna oh, yeah, assume man. you're a Broncos fan. No doubt, bleed bleeding orange and blue, man. Yeah. I, I mean, first first Super Bowl I remember was 1977, and Staubach and and Butch Johnson mm. and those guys beat up Denver uh, real bad. But man, that that orange crush defense, uh, those guys were no joke. And, and then obviously having you know most of my growing up years as a young man being able to watch John Elway uh was an absolute pleasure and, and then watching uh watching the the master Peyton Manning come in yeah uh, and, and get us uh you know get us another Super Bowl and, and obviously he you know he wasn't quite himself uh but man was he fun to watch holy moly well his his mental game was was right his, his mental well, yeah. game and his work ethic one of my favorite players for Denver of all time is Al Wilson. Yes. Oh, man, at a University of Tennessee, baby. Absolutely, Linebacker. University of Tennessee. Yeah. yeah. Man, he's just yeah. mean. I love watching him play. Oh, yeah. So, so Brett, did, did you did you get to go watch any of those famous Browns, Broncos, AFC? Heck, yeah. Games? You bet I did. I was at the 
Um, I was at the, it would have been 1988. So it was the year after the drive when Elway in Denver went in and had that last 98 minute or 98 yard drive, kicked a field goal to win it in Cleveland. And, and then we went to the game the next year uh, where uh, there was the fumble. And so, I mean, it was an offensive spectacle, which was fantastic. Uh, Bernie Kozar and John Elway yeah. going at it going at it, man, all afternoon. And I want to say it was a 38-33 game, and, and Cleveland was going in for the winning score. And Jeremiah Castile ripped that ball out, and and, and we uh, and Denver goes to a Super Bowl and, and gets annihilated again. Uh, but <laughs> it was – yes, I was, I was at that – I was at that game, and it was fantastic. Uh, the, the old Mile High Stadium was rocking. Man, mm, I, I mean, bet. when you when you talk about banging your, you know, thundering your feet on the bleachers, oh, it was something else at that old stadium, no doubt about it. But I, I tell people who they say, oh, you know, we're not a football fan. I'm like, go to a game, go to a game, because I mean, I've been to, I'm waiting. You know, we've just been out here for you know a year or so. I can't wait to get out to a to a night game at the Coliseum and watch USC play. I don't even care who they're playing, just to be there for the atmosphere. Uh, you know, I've been to UT. Uh, to a UT Georgia game and watch them come through the big, you know, the big T and David knows what I'm talking about on that. I've been to, uh, <laughs> to Auburn. Um, yeah, I know. Right. Which, and, and Auburn is a, uh, I can't stand the team, but a beautiful place to watch a football game. Absolutely. It, it really is the loveliest city on the plains out there when the sun's going down on that backdrop It's gorgeous. But, you know, as a Georgia fan, when you go in there and, you got to get there pregame. And I don't mean like walk in 10 minutes before kickoff. I mean, go in, go through all the, the festivities, hang out, tailgate, hang with your folks, get in there, kind of watch some of the warm-ups. They start playing all those bumper videos with the historical plays. And, you know, for Georgia, we got, you know, Walker going down and, and Buck Ballou and those guys winning the national championship and Larry Munson's voice is coming over, you know, and it's just it's just getting you pumped up. And then over in the corner of the stands, everything gets quiet. And this lone bugler plays the first note to the battle hymn of the Republic. And it's, it's doing it now. The oh, hair on the back of your yeah. neck stands up. And you charge the field. And I'm like, and I tell people, it's like, look, okay, go watch the game. Take it all in. And then if you don't like it, maybe we can't be friends. I don't know. <laughs> but just but you got but you got to go experience it. Like you said before, there's, there's nothing like that atmosphere to have, you know, 60, 80, 90,000 fans, or if you're at Tennessee, 105,000 fans going absolutely nuts, man, it, it just, it does something to you, you know, and to, to, I, I would have loved to have been part of those. I was, I was at a couple, you know, um, I was at the Georgia Auburn game when Georgia beat Auburn fourth and 19 and they, they had Ronnie Brown that year. Um, oh, yeah. Ronnie Brown, Cadillac Williams, I think Cadillac was hurt, but Ronnie Brown, Auburn had went up, and I'm like, oh, it's over. It's going to be Ronnie Brown left, Ronnie Brown right. We're done. And, you know, something happened. We get a turnover, and they go in and score. And I can remember everybody sat down because we're in that end zone. And there's like a Georgia fan three rows over there and another one over there. We're yelling at each other and just having a 
having a good time, but I was also at homecoming when Vandy beat us. And if you're an SEC fan, that just shouldn't happen. You just don't lose to Vandy. Uh, and we lost, we lost to Vandy at homecoming. And that was my, my oldest son. That was his first Georgia game. And of course, you know, being a sports fan, ooh, ooh. Oh, you don't get to come back, son. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's your fault. You don't get to the come ball. back. You come over. That's right. <laughs> well, he, you know, hey, He's mine, so he didn't like orange either, David. Oh. <laughs> no, the, yeah, the SEC football, like you said, I mean, they, the largest crowds, I mean, maybe besides Death Valley and uh, in Michigan Stadium, I mean, the largest yeah. crowds for college football are at those stadiums. I mean, so I've been to plenty of CU games. And, and you know, uh, the backdrop against the, the Flatirons is awesome in Boulder. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful um, sight. But man, they don't. They just don't. They can, they don't pack that many people in there. And you got Ralphie, uh, the Buffaloes, you know, striding and charging hard uh, as the as the players come out. It's awesome. But man, yeah, I I know it's it's. I've never been to an SEC football game, and and I plan on getting to one sooner than later. So, hmm. man, maybe, maybe maybe we all need to meet for a Tennessee Georgia game. There you go. That would be fantastic. Uh, uh, we'd but, have to say You guys have to sit in between me and Robert, for sure. We would have to be on opposite ends. It just would not work. It would right. not work. We, uh, I, I can remember the year that we went to the uh, to the Tennessee-Georgia game, and David will remember this. Um, Mark Rick was the head coach, uh, and Aaron Murray was quarterback. Georgia lost, like, three players that game just from freak injuries. Uh, and we used to always blame it on Tennessee. They got, you know, bodies hidden in the field or something. They're tripping over somebody. But uh, I can remember it was a very low-scoring game going into halftime. And I looked at Angela, my wife, and I said, second half is going to blow up because they're averaging close to 40 a game. And they're only sitting at, like, 15 right now. This is going to go nuts. And it did. Went into overtime. And uh, and I still think it was strategic. I don't know if Mark Rick would, would admit it now. But uh, Tennessee was driving down, and he let them go ahead and score to go up by three uh, and then he drove down and kicked the, the field goal to tie it and go into overtime and um, Georgia scores first overtime might've been a second overtime. Of course, at this point it's going nuts. We're all in Georgia gear. I don't know if we're going to get out of there alive. And uh, <laughs> the pig Howard running back for Tennessee is about to go into the end zone to score what will be the winning score. And he fumbled through the end zone for a touchback. And oh. as soon as it happened, I was oh. like, because Georgia had lost like that. I'm like, oh, it's mm. game over. And all the fans around me, like, I'm like, no, it's this is about to get ugly. It's game over. We just won like this. And right, um, right. And, and it's, you know, you, you get those memories and it just, it, it stays with you. You know, of course, my wife is like, how do you remember all this stuff? But, you know, you can't remember why you walked in the living room. Like, it's, <laughs> it's just, there's a reason. It just it sticks with you, you know, but. <clears throat> or, no or, or you know, that's where, get to get bread. That well, that's where our spirit, our spirits rise. That that helps our and those, uh, yeah, those are my best, yeah, my best memories. Many of them, I should say, uh, revolve around sports, no doubt about it. Um, but yeah, man, it just those things stick in your spirit, and, and it it helps your spirit come to the forefront, uh, which is yeah. awesome, man. Which is awesome. And so that was the Absolutely. last play of the game. That was the last play of the game. He fumbled through the end zone, and that was it. In overtime. In overtime. <laughs> so, you know, Georgia gets the ball back, but they've already scored on the other end, so they're yeah, ahead. Right. So they're ahead, right, and they just run yeah. out the clock. In, yeah. in overtime, done. And I'm like, 
wow, this is, this is about to get ugly. So, mm-hmm. uh, and again, I've seen, uh, I've seen some really good Georgia games. Um, I did get to see them beat Alabama many years ago when, before Nick Saban got there, uh, and they went through three quarterbacks. Alabama did. Georgia knocked out three different quarterbacks. Of course, we paid for that later because they're still beating the crap out of us since then. So, um, really, I say they're that. really not beating. <laughs> right. Come well, on, you know, we're all in the right, same boat. <laughs> it still it still hurts as a Georgia fan because you know I, I I get stats stuck in my head. And then the, the like the three games that we lost to Alabama, we were only behind a total of like two minutes. I and I say we like I had something to do with it. I wasn't understanding. <laughs> <there. laughs> I wasn't on the field or anything, but you know, hey. I'm I'm screaming from the from the TV. But well, if two if uh, Saban is not ballsy enough to put Tua in in that second yeah. half, you you've got a national championship. Yeah. Well, and I tell everybody. Um, can you tell it's still fresh? Um, so when, when they put two in, the, def- the defense didn't – in both of those games, the first half, the running backs are just just running rough shot over Alabama, right? And they go into the second half. They, they change. Uh, Tua comes in. Uh, they cha- Georgia changed the offensive strategy and stopped running the ball. But they never changed their defensive strategy. So it just flipped it on its ear. And the, the next year, same thing, when they put Jalen Hurts back in, it was the same thing. They didn't change strategies. They didn't, you know, it didn't. Right. It paid right. dividends for Alabama, not Georgia. But yeah, that still hurts a little bit. I still get, uh, I still get text messages from, uh, from some of my Bama fans. Fourth and twenty six. I'm like, come on, man. Just, <laughs> every and, and I'm glad I'm not on Facebook now that I mentioned that because I know yesterday when it was April twenty sixth, there were some memes out there about fourth and twenty six and, uh, and oh. Alabama beat Georgia. And, <laughs> Because that's just that's just how my Alabama friends are, and, and, oh, man. and, and I, I get it. I get it. That is that is the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. It just it just keeps on it just keeps on punching. Yeah. But while yeah, we're right, right. Brett, how are you doing I'm, on I'm, time? We want to be respectful of your time. Yeah. Uh, you know what, guys? I've got a little bit of time left. I've probably got about 10, 15 minutes left. Well, let's let's do okay. this. Uh, we got we got one parting question for you that I think we all want to get to, but really quick, I would, or not sure. really quick, but I would just like to ask this: uh, your the book that you have out now. Um, how did you how did you get into writing that book? And then your book yes. that you're about to come out with that's in editing. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. If, if we could um, just tell us yeah, about so those a- real quick, and when we'd like to uh, tell our, the folks where they can get them. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. David, so the, the Impact of Influence was a book co-authored by myself and 15 other authors. And, and so a good buddy of mine, Chip Baker, um, he I met him, I met him over social media. I said, I've got to meet this guy in person. And, and so last year during the pandemic, uh, we, my wife, Isabel Colton, Carrie, and myself. We t- so it was really cool. I got to tell you guys about this because it was such a life giving trip. We flew into Houston, met with Chip, got to know him on such a more intimate level, and, and then we we've just continued to be friends. And and we are along that similar track of inspiring and 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 uh, just trying to to be a, a good influence, a good a good person in this world. Um, he asked me to uh, to be one of the authors in the Impact of Influence and. Man, it, that has been such a life-giving experience as well, learning how the publishing 
editing, marketing of a book happens um, has been invaluable information for me. And, and, and meeting, not meeting them in person as of yet, but meeting these fantastic other men uh, who have their uh, stories in this book. Uh, there will be a, a book tour in Denver, uh, July 9th and 10th for the impact of influence. And so just being able to, to network and, and be with like-minded people, uh, obviously like yourselves, I, man, I feel a kinship with you guys right off the mm-hmm. bat here. And I, I really appreciate it. And, and so Chip is one of those guys and, and, and Chip was kind of the, you know, he, he spearheaded this whole thing and, but it, uh, it, it came together and yeah, we went, uh, to Amazon number one bestseller status in 12 categories which nice. is a, a, a fantastic uh, accomplishment. And, and then we're just really on to that next phase of the book, getting it out, uh, doing the book tours, continuing to promote it uh, locally within our sphere of influences, you know, here, Houston, North Dallas, North Carolina, uh, all Nebraska, all the places where the authors are from. Um, and, and then, so then, like I said, we'll be on the book tours. And as we went on that Houston trip, that was the first stop in a road trip that went to New Orleans to, to, to visit my best buddy, John Brooks. We drove I-10 through Louisiana, Mississippi, ended up in mm. Alabama on Orange Beach. Hmm, another and then, road. Oh, man. it was, And we've been wanting to do it for a while, and it was so awesome, as you guys know. And then we drove up. So the Gusmus family lineage is in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Mm. <laughs> so... So we, so all of my descendants, all of my Gusmus descendants from John Conradus Gusmus, who came uh, through Galveston to the to America, and I want to say the 1820s or 30s or even before 1830s, um, he then settled uh, in. They, he moved the family to uh, Muscle Shoals. The 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 whole five generations settled there, and so I had never been there. And it was one of the most life-giving experiences I've had. And, and Carrie, my wife and kids got to see, <clears throat> excuse me, um, where that family lineage has come from. And so it was nice. so awesome. It was awesome, man. And, um, and then we drove to Memphis and met my uncle um, and got to see uh, my grandparents' house and got to stay at the Peabody Hotel and stayed on Beale Street. And, and then we went to, and then we drove on to Kansas City where my wife's family is and and we get to we get to, we, all, we every Memorial Day we get to drive to cemeteries uh, with her mm. family, her dad's and mom's family. So obviously, family and history and lineage is a huge, huge part of who we are. And so it was um, such an awesome trip. Uh, um, and so that started it really meeting Chip in Houston, and then we we've grown to be good friends, and and we've you know gone on to the next part of this journey with collaborating on the book. And, and I, I'm, I'm thinking it won't be, it's not something that will be done yet. Uh, there might be another one or other opportunities just to continue to, to affect the world in a positive way. Nice. Um, and then the Oak tree source, um, it's an editing now it um, will be out beginning of fall. Um, I um, I've got uh, three, I've got cover, I've got cover choices out and man, it's, it's, it's really looks good. Um, and so maybe I'll, I'll share that or share that with you guys and, and you guys can help me pick, uh, what the cover is going to be. Um, and, and then, but really it, it originated from my life 
my life um, as a child of God, the way that he's orchestrated my life. And, and so it started with, so guys, my, and we talk about this idea of masculinity as an athlete, um, as a, you know, coming from patriarchal culture, I, you know, I saw the hierarchy, man. I, I saw that in what the, that should be me. Um, I married a woman who is uber successful, owns her own company, her own mortgage company is, is the most loving, passionate soul that I've ever met. And, and we um, are definitely equally yoked. And, and there's no doubt that Carrie is the one that God saved for me amongst that the the lessons um the way god has spoken to my heart has was a big part of the oak tree source so there was a time when i went back to school to get my to finish my education to to follow that dream of coaching full time and teaching i felt like i lost my role uh, a little bit what is my role and my pride was talking to me. The enemy was talking to me. And, and that set off another journey uh, uh, with God just taking me by the hand and saying, Britt, this, this is the journey I have for you. This is the role that I have for you. And I, and I, and I wholeheartedly believe, David, that, that he has led this message of the oak tree source and where men don't have to be you know, the head of the household always in, in the traditional sense, the, the head can be the source, the foundation uh, of substance, strength, life-giving encouragement, love, joy, passion, and, and completely, completely fulfill their purpose and, and, and feel that respect and purposeful satisfaction in their lives. And, and it doesn't have to look the way the world always wants it to look. And we can enter into those places where we show compassion, we listen, we are able to do things that that are collaborative with our wives. And it doesn't it doesn't have to look like the traditional patriarchal structure, which is so much more life giving. And and Robert, uh, the last thing I'll say before um, you know I end with this is one of the chapters in the book to give you a little preview is called compartmentalization. And so, like you said, yeah, as guys, we're really good at that. And I really, I believe Jesus wants us to, he wants to have our whole heart, our whole soul. And when we, when we compartmentalize this part of our lives, that part of our lives, the stuff that I'm going to take to my grave, uh, the things that um, are, are things that, you know, that are just mine and that I will always hold on to. um, I, I think that, that just keeps Jesus away. It keeps growth away. And and I think he wants, he wants all of us so that we can be for lack of a better term, individuated in him. And and so knocking down those walls that exist in us um, has been really painful. (laughs) It's been really (laughs) painful. It's been really painful at times. And um, but, but the most, um, the most life-giving, uh, experiences I've had as, as a man, as a follower of Christ. And so the Oak tree source originated from there and, and it's just continued to, to, to grow. And, and I really, I got the manuscript done during COVID. And so, um, it, that was a blessing in that way, which, which I know it was a, it was a hardship for many, 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 and that breaks my heart. And, and I pray for, 
uh, people uh, who have been affected. And yet for me, it was the ability to say, okay, I am going to get this done. And then I remember my daughter, Isabel, saying, Daddy, when are you going to finish your book? And <laughs> I couldn't. <laughs> it's like, okay. I mean, that, you know, obviously there was, there was motivation from, from the God of the universe. But when your daughter said, you know, hey, Daddy, when, you know, she just asked you a, a very innocent and pure question, right? It wasn't right. anything that was malicious. But it's like, yeah, that's, that's another motivation, too. I think um, God used her for that. Yeah, out of the mouth of the babes. Yep, that's right. Uh, amen, amen, Brian. Thank you. So yeah, it's uh, it's been a cool journey thus far. I, um, I'm excited to see um, where it can go. There's a lot of hard work uh, in front of me to to market it and um, to to make sure that we can get it in front of people and and maybe uh, and see what God wants to do with it. So absolutely, so good. That, that is very awesome. Brett, I, I'm so happy for you and so glad that you uh, are in the place that you are. And I'm very thankful that you got to come on with us tonight. And we'll definitely we'll definitely promote your book and help you do that when the time comes. We'll have you back on when it's released, if you yes. want. And Thank you so much. And you've got um, just so to just to get back to where where we can find it. So I know we, you've yeah, got brettgusmus.com. Yeah. And I, I forgot to insert that. Yes. Yeah, so brettgusmus.com. And then um Instagram, your social media post, Brit Gusmus 711 at Instagram, uh, Brit Gusmus at Brit Gusmus on Twitter, and then my name, just my name on Facebook. Um, and then I do have the oaktreesource.com as well um, that has blog postings. Um, and, and then we'll have more uh, marketing uh, materials for the book as it gets closer. And folks, we'll have all of those on our. Uh, show notes. So I'll be able to add, right. add those in there as well. So if you are looking for Brett, you can find him in our show notes and you can find him on the internet and just uh, Google his name and you'll find him there as well. And so we're so excited that we had John, but before we let you go, I know you got a little right. bit, of, just a little bit more time. Just We got to go back to football and Robert, oh, I think yeah, you got a question. To, I think you got a question. Speaking, about my, speaking football. my language. Nah. Yeah, it's my love. It's it's my love language. Um, That's yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, being, you know, being a being a football guy like you are, being a former you know a, a state championship quarterback, quarterback coach. Now, obviously, you, you speak the offensive lingo. Uh, big Denver fan for years, been there, seen a lot of great games. So, uh, and we'll start with you. We'll kind of go round table. Uh, you know, see if anybody else has any any other good uh, good combinations. But I want to know your backfield. Like, let's go quarterback, tailback, maybe a couple receivers. You can go all time. Who are you putting back there, man? Who are you giving the ball to? All right, man. So, well, it's, uh, you know, we've got to go with with number seven under mm -hmm. center. The, well, you the, have the, to. The, the Duke of Denver, right? I mean, I've, <laughs> That's I've, right. Never, I've never seen uh, a guy more athletic, uh, more competitive, and, and, you know, you talk about, we talked about, you know, carrying the weight uh, earlier, the weight of hope. I mean, that guy carried it for a whole city, a whole <laughs> yeah, region, <he> did. <laughs> a whole region for 16 years. And, and we went through, man, we went through some heartache. Uh, but, man, to see him in the Broncos uh, win that Super Bowl 32, uh, it, it just gives me goosebumps, man. And, and watching him hold the, tr you know, pumping his fist you know, when he knew the game was over. And, and so, yeah, definitely John Elway uh, at the quarterback position. And then at the tailback position, 
it's it's got to be Bo Jackson. And and I know mm. that his career was cut short. That hurt a little. That hurt a little. <laughs> and, and I know you wanted you wanted to hear Herschel uh, Walker, didn't you, Robert? You uh, no, I just I just didn't want to hear Bo. Most phenomenal <laughs> athlete I, I have ever seen. Absolutely. Ever. Absolutely. Was Bo Jackson. Ever. Ever. And and watching him, I mean, it's you know, we all know the Monday night Seattle, the game in the kingdom. Where where he ran 93 yards and couldn't slow himself down and uh, you know there were there were and just ran into the tunnel. I mean there's there's so I mean he yeah there, so his pure athletic athleticism and power um, I, I think if wouldn't have gotten his you know he would have played two sports and his career wouldn't have gotten cut short uh, if it didn't boy he would have he would have just done amazing amazing things potential Hall of Famer in two sports no doubt no if he doubt. doesn't get injured. No doubt. I still think they should put him in. I mean, he's just that <laughs> much. Anyway, he's right? just that much of an athlete. I mean, hands down. I mean, my son asked me like, "Dad, who was the best running back ever?" I said, "Well, the best athlete I, I've ever yeah. seen was Bo Jackson, ever, yeah. w- w- without a doubt." So we got we got John Denver, not John Denver. Good. You don't want John Denver. You don't, yeah. I mean, but yes, yes. You don't want John Denver playing QB though. My bad. Gonna, so we got John the, Elway, we got, sing the defense to sleep, Robert. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, with a little Rocky Mountain High, no doubt. Yeah, a little Rocky Mountain um, High. And, you got Bo Jackson. You, you got a receiver you want to throw out there? Of course I do. And so I man, there's so many. Um, that have been so dominant and so fun to watch. Um, I would have to say Randy Moss. I'd have to say Randy Moss because uh, he. I enjoyed watching him so much. And the way, I mean, he, you know, as much as Jerry Rice kind of revolutionized the game uh, with his, you know, obviously his work ethic, his ability to break away from guys and run away from guys and just be the most, he's probably the best football player of all time is right. Jerry Rice, in my opinion. But I, I just – I'd have to put Randy Moss out there because I don't know that I'd uh, want another guy running the nine route besides Could Randy Moss. Could you imagine Elway in his prime with Moss in his prime? Oh, you just, just go, Just go long. We've got it. Just go long. Exactly. <laughs> right. And, and just, yeah, just know that, know that I'm going to run and I'm going to run around a little bit. You just keep yourself alive and I'm going <laughs> to hoist that thing 65 yards down the field. Um, just go. Yeah, and no doubt, man. And and then you know what? I'll have to put a fullback in there. And the fullback, John Candy. <laughs> <laughs> if he gets ahead of steam going, when he said steam going, when he just, said John Denver, I was thinking John Candy. I was like, yep. <laughs> yes, it goes right along with John Candy. That's yeah, right. absolutely. Just get it. Hey, get him going downhill, man, and, and get him in somebody's way. And if Bo will just make that cut or run over him and the linebacker <laughs> and the and the three technique. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> Bo might carry him. Bo just might hook, right. hitch him up and carry him in front of him. He's he's such a phenomenal athlete. Um, I want to ask Colin. Um, yeah, and I know he's a Detroit fan, but th- there's been at least one bright spot there. Um, Colin, who you got, yeah. man? Yeah, there there was a bright spot. Barry Sanders. There you go. <laughs> right, right spot. Yes. Um, I I have always been a Brady hater, but I think this but. past year proved he is one of the greatest. I mean, he had a year where he didn't get he didn't know the team. 
He doesn't know the offense. He doesn't know the playbook. Didn't get to practice the playbook. Didn't get, you know, spring training. Didn't didn't know spring training. And they, they, they showed it was a rough start, but he pulled it together and turned. You got to admit he's, he's, he's amazing. As painful as I know. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Not a fan, but, but but this, he gets it done. And um, I was kind of thinking Moss also, um, you know, obviously being a Detroit guy, I want to jump around about Calvin Johnson, but <laughs> that's a good pick, though. It's a good and Calvin pick. Johnson's a great pick. It's, or it's even a, Herman Moore. Yes, Herman Moore. Yeah, this, I mean, I really think that a lot of players, you know, are made are made better, you know, by the combination of people. And mm-hmm. that's why I think if you've got Tom Brady, it really doesn't matter who else you got around there because he has made stars out of everybody he's played with. Yeah. Well, you look at Julian Edelman who just retired. He yeah. probably wouldn't have had the same career if it hadn't been for Tom Brady. No, I don't think Gronkowski would have been Gronkowski. No, you're right. It's, it's because of that person that is, is finding where, the right spot to go is right yeah absolutely absolutely he's fun to watch too like we talked about earlier knowing what's coming next and just putting your people in the right spot mm-hmm. just ridiculous just yeah. absolutely ridiculous i'm gonna i'm gonna throw some more shade on stafford that's why i don't like him <laughs> <laughs> because he sees the uh, the uh defensive line start coming at him and his eyes go wide, and he sidearms that thing. Right well, in. you know, in his defense, in, in Detroit, the defensive line comes at him a lot. I'm just saying, you know. Uh, I, I agree. Uh, All right. so even Brian, when it doesn't. Right. I'm, I'm going to go with Brian next. And, and I know Brian's not – Brian's probably – of all the sports fans here, he's the least sports fan. Uh, you are correct. I am the least so, sports fan. Uh, but – I have like three different areas here. I I grew up a certain fan, and then I used to live in Northern California, and then I was in Nashville when the Titans came to town. So okay, uh, I've got a. I'm going for my quarterback. Actually, I'm gonna I'll, I'm gonna save him for last. Uh, I'm going part of the dream team here. Uh, tied in Frank Wycheck, oh, running back, running back Eddie George. Those were my guys back in the day. They went to the Super Bowl. I did have my wide receiver. I did have Jerry Rice because we used to watch the we used to watch the Niners in uh, spring practice when we lived in Northern California. Yeah. And then I grew up a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, mm. so I've got down my quarterback here, Terry Bradshaw. There you go, oh, Terry, man, there you Terry go. Bradshaw. Dude, oh boy, <laughs> hey, one of the greatest of all time. And man, he was he was really good in Cannonball Run. Too. Yes, he was. He was. He's been good in every, just about every movie he's been in. He's, oh, he is a he is he is a, a, a he is a treasure. Terry Bradshaw is a national treasure, no doubt. Yes, and can sing. I don't know if you know that he can uh-huh. sing. Let's see. He made a country. He was song. also yeah. He, he, he was, was also first season of uh, Mass Singer. Yes, he was on Mass Singer. Exactly. Well, he and, every, uh, and he yeah, gave himself a... away with his laugh. Yes, he did. That's right. <laughs> They, there's yes, a 
there's a group called the Isaacs. I don't know if you guys are familiar with them. It's, it's my kind of music. I mean, it's, it's uh, Southern gospel, four part harmony, family harmony. Uh, and their sound is absolutely amazing. It's uh, two sisters and the brother and they're, they're just phenomenal. And every now and then he sits in with them. And first time I saw them, I'm like, what in the world is Terry Bradshaw doing? And then he started singing. I was like, all right, respect to Terry Bradshaw. Got, so, I've got to look that up. Did you see him? When yeah, he was I do too. Pull up on YouTube. It's there. It's Did there, you see so. when he was Matthew McConaughey's dad? Yes. In one yes. Of, in one of the oh. movies. <laughs> Failure to launch. That's the name yeah, of the movie. Failure to launch. I'm trying yeah. to think of the movie where he had his naked room. <laughs> he said, don't come in here. This is my naked room. Don't come in here. Gladly. That's all I need to know. I'm not going in. So, uh, David, I'm, I'm going to let you go. Because, you know, I failed so horribly in the uh, the Apocalypse Challenge. I'm going to go last and try and redeem myself. Oh, okay. You're going to go last. So, all right. so, yeah, so go ahead, David. <laughs> okay. Um, wow. I'm going to start with running back. And since Bo has been taken, Barry has been taken, I'm going to go with sweetness, Walter Payton. Mm. So I have to go with sweetness. And for, gosh, man, there's so many great wide receivers. That's a tough one to choose from, but I, I'm, I'm probably going to have to say. Who yeah, I, wide, who I, wide receivers are. I know. I mean, there's just there's so, so many. So you went with Calvin there's Johnson. So you took Calvin yeah. Johnson. Yeah. So I can't go with Calvin Johnson. I can't go with Jerry Rice. Oh my gosh, who am I going to pick? You know, I like To. <laughs> I tell you what, I'm since since I'm a Tennessee guy. <laughs> since I'm a Tennessee guy, one of the guys I used to love to watch play, and he played with with, with sweetness was Willie Gaunt. Yes, sir. I love to watch yes, him play. Sir. So, boy, boy, track star. Yeah. yeah, could he run? So I'll go with he's him. Even he's leaving, baby. Yeah, <laughs> if he's it, even. No he's leaving. doubt. <laughs> it's exactly. There, there weren't even too many guys who could get even with him. No, no, no. I mean, man, Crazy. I love that pick. I love that pick, David. Crazy it's a good pick. So you, uh, you, and, got, you got Willie Gall. Yeah, I've got Willie Gall, and and I've got sweetness. Uh, so yep. So my quarterback, you know, the the low hanging fruit for me is Peyton. Because I'm a Vols fan, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go out on a limb here because this guy, I, I don't like him as a commentator on football, but I, I think he was one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game and never got a Super Bowl ring. Was Dan Marino? Okay, and I think Dan could spin it with anybody. No quick release, doubt. such a quick release. So I didn't go with the low hanging fruit. I went with Dan Marino. Okay, all right. Well, I'm I'm gonna go old school. So quarterback for me, I'm going to take the greatest of all time before the greatest of all time. Joe Montana loved to watch that guy play. My dad was a huge fan of his. I just, I used to love to watch Joe Montana play and manage the game. So that's going to be my QB, uh, you know, being a child of the eighties. Uh, and my dad was also a big Redskins fan. I'm going with the diesel John Riggins. Oh, and I'm, I'm running go. over everybody. everybody. Um, yeah, everybody. He's a fullback, running back, and just, you know, he's going to block for himself and just run people over. That guy was amazing. BYOB. Uh, yeah, baby. Yeah, Bring he's coming. Bring your own blocker. I love it. He is coming. Um, I mean, if we were talking college, I would go with Herschel, but Herschel didn't have a great uh, great pro career. I mean, it was okay, but uh, but not great. Uh, still looks like he could play to this day, by the he way. He does. Um, and I think, I think in all honesty – I think he's still faster than probably 70% of the guys in their 40, running their 40 time. He still runs a sub 540, and he's 50-plus. Um, the guy's nuts. But 
So, yeah, I'm going to take Joe Montana. I'm going to take the diesel John Riggins. Uh, and then another one of those guys that I just love to watch play wide receiver. Uh, uh, not Jerry Rice. I love Jerry Rice, but he's already gone. I'm going to go with Tim Brown, who is basically, <laughs> you know, he's basically Jerry Rice. Yep. Not a not a big guy, but ran the routes great, caught the ball when it got to him. Uh, you know, for a lot of his career, I don't think he got a whole lot of publicity until he was close to the end and racking up numbers. But just a just a great guy. So that that's going to be my three. I'm going to go. I'm going to go back a little bit nostalgic on that. And you know, you mentioned Elway earlier, and that you know that '83, that class of '83 quarterbacks. I'm so glad as a kid I got to watch that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like who are you going to be today? I'm, I'm going to be Elway or Marino or uh, who's his? Yeah, Jim Kelly. Kelly that came out. I mean, the, 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 Jim the, Kelly. Yep. Yep. That class that came out was just amazing as quarterbacks, and yeah, just to just to watch that. So that that's going to be my three. But Britt, man, it was it was good to have you on here. I'm uh, I'm really glad Rachel connected us. Uh, it has it has been uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, and again, Britt Gusmus, BrittGusmus.com. Uh, the book that's out right now is The Impact of Influence, uh, and the one that's coming out later this year in the fall, The Oak Tree Source. Uh, we're really looking forward to it, guys. Any uh, any closing comments? Anything for Britt? I just thank you so much, Brett. We really appreciate it very much. And uh, we look forward to having you back on when your book is released in the fall. Yeah, yeah and that's, yeah, thank you so much, guys. And, and, yeah, it has been an absolute pleasure to, to get to know you, uh, to be on. And, and yeah, and just, uh, yeah, I'd love to come back on if you have me. And man, this is a lot of fun tonight. This is a lot of fun. A lot of yeah. fun tonight. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Brett. We appreciate your time and, and you know, your leadership. You're, you're paving the way for a lot of people and, and uh, the way that you're, that you seek God and his, his will for your life. And it's, it's not, I know it's not an easy task. It's to, for people to submit their lives and their will to Christ and, and then to follow through with it. And so I just commend Absolutely. you. I commend you for, for doing it and, and for being such an example for the rest of us. Well, thank you so Absolutely. much, Brian. Thank you so much. And yeah, it, uh, it's, you know, his life for mine, um, is uh, is something that was that he that he loved me through and, and man it's it's been an incredible journey so far and and it has it, you know it's led me to be with you guys tonight so it uh, <laughs> I mean uh, there's no coincidences I don't think and uh, you know um, it's uh, it's been a great journey and I, I continue to uh, hope to continue to to be a difference maker for him so Britt Gusmus everybody that's going to do it for today's episode. We were thankful to have Britt Gusmus on with us. We will have all of his contact information in our show notes. And here's Brian to tell you about our contact information. You can find us on the web at thelyingtruthpodcast.com or on social at lyingtruthpod on Instagram or Twitter. If you like what you hear and you would like to support our show, click on the link in our show notes at Buy Me a Coffee. You can make a one-time donation or become a member. <laughs>